0: This is a reconstructionist radio production. Please visit chalcedon.edu to download this book in PDF or to purchase this book. God's Plan for Victory: The Meaning of Postmillennialism by Russus John Rushdoony, Chalcedon Foundation, Valledo, California, nine five two five one. Copyright nineteen ninety seven by Russus John Rushdoony. Chapter four eschatology, and work. In the 18th century colonial America, George Whitfield, while in New Jersey, dined with a number of American clergymen. We are told that, quote, after dinner, in the course of an easy and pleasant conversation, Mr. Whitfield adverted to the difficulties attending the gospel ministry arising from the small successes in which their labors were crowned. He greatly lamented that all their zeal, activity, and fervor availed but little. Said that he was weary with the burdens and fatigues of the day. Declared his great consolation was that in a short time his work would be done, when he should depart and be with Christ, and that the prospect of a speedy deliverance had supported his spirits, or that he should before now have sunk under his labor. He then appealed to the ministers around him, if it were not their great comfort that they should soon go to rest, they generally assented, excepting Mr. Tennant, the Rev. William Tennant Jr, who sat next to Mr. Whitfield in silence, and by his countenance discovered but little pleasure in the conversation on Mr. Whitfield turning to him and tapping him on the knee, he said, "Well, Brother Tennant." You are the oldest man among us. Do you not rejoice to think that your time is so near at hand, when you will be called home and freed from all difficulties attending this chequered scene? Mr. T. bluntly answered, quote, I have no wish about it. Unquote. Mr. W. pressed him again, and Mr. T. answered, quote, No, sir, it is no pleasure to me at all. If you knew your duty, it would be none to you. I have nothing to do with death. My business is to live as long as I can, and to serve my lord and master as faithfully as I can, until he shall think it proper to call me home. Mr. W. still urged for an explicit answer to his question, in case of time of death were left to his own choice. Minister Tennant replied. i have no choice about it i am god's servant i have engaged to do his business as long as he pleases to continue me therein but no brother let me ask you a question what do you think i would say if i was to send my man tom into the field to plow and if at noon i should go to the field and find him lounging under a tree and complaining Quote, master the sun is very hot and plowing hard and difficult." I am tired and weary of the work you've appointed me. I am overdone in the heat and the burden of the day. Do, master, let me return home and be discharged from his hard service, unquote. What would I say? Why, that he was an idle, lazy fellow? That it was his business to do the work that I have appointed him until I, the proper judge, should think fit to call him home? Or... Suppose you had hired a man to serve you faithfully for a given time in a particular service, and that he should, without any reason on your part, and before he performed half his service, become weary of it, and upon every occasion be expressing a wish to be discharged or placed in other circumstances. Would you not call him a wicked and slothful servant and unworthy of the privileges of your employ? The mild, pleasant, Christian-like manner in which this reproof was administered rather increased the social harmony in edifying the conversation of the company, who became satisfied that it was very possible to err, even in desiring with the undue earnestness to depart and be with Christ, which in itself is, quote, far better, unquote, than to remain in this imperfect estate. And that is the duty of the Christian in this respect, to say, quote, All the days of my appointed time will I wait until my change come. Unquote. This was the biblical and Puritan temper. Murray has shown the importance of this temper to the Puritan achievement, adding quote, The opportunity of honoring Christ by fulfilling our present duties is a priceless privilege. And those of us that serve him will not be found waiting at his coming. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. End quote. This belief that God has an important work for man to do, and that man must do it, was coupled with the belief that what God had done for us, he can do for others. The present belief is increasingly a humanistic faith in the power of the scientific elite who alone can save man. If men will recognize their lack of expertise and submit to the experts, certain races and classes are held to need this government if they are to advance. The Christian view is opposed to this, and it was manifested in the form of agreement of the Baptist missionaries, Puritan in Temper and Faith, who met at Serampore early in their missionary advance into India, and declared, "He who raised the Scottish and brutalized Britons to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus can raise these slaves of superstition, purify their hearts by faith, and make them worshippers of the one God in spirit and truth." The promises are fully sufficient to remove our doubts and make us anticipate that not very distant period when he will famish all the gods of India and cause these very idolaters to cast their idols into the moles into the bats and renounce forever the work of their own hands, Unquote. Such missionaries clearly believed that by God's grace they were superior, and it was their desire to give some of that superiority of grace to all men. As their homeland, once given to savagery, had been transformed by God's grace, so every people, tribe, and tongue could and would be transformed because God had so declared it in his word. A. A. Hodge of Princeton, who in his early years served as a missionary in India, saw the missionary effort hamstrung by premillennialism and wrote, Millennialian missionaries have a style of their own. Their theory affects their word in the way of making them seek exclusively or chiefly to the conversion of individual souls. The true and efficient missionary method is to aim directly, indeed at soul winning, but at the same time to plant Christian institutions in heathen lands, which will, in time, develop according to the genius of the nationalities. English missionaries can never hope to convert the world directly by units. End quote. Under the influence of new premillennialism, quote, the church was regarded as an institution without a future. End quote. Not a work but waiting was the new emphasis, waiting for the rapture for premillennialists and waiting grimly for the tribulation and end for all millennialists. Two other factors reinforced the retreat occasioned by false eschatology. First, pietism saw life in essentially emotional and personal terms and as a preparation for heaven. Work was seen as a chore, an aspect of the curse, not a way of dominion, and the goal of man was seen as an eternal vacation with the Lord. Pietism produced a shallow life, Intellectually and vocationally, the test of faith was made an emotional experience, and not surprisingly, women began to predominate in both Catholic and Protestant circles. Religion became a woman's affair, and the men in it were full of pietism and low on manhood. Pietism exalted the nothing people, pious poops who reduced their faith to pious gush and for almost two centuries have bedeviled the godly clergy with their sinful, full sanctimonious ways. The nothing people avoid open acts of sin, not because they love and fear God, but because they are timid souls who love and fear people and dare not offend them. In their hands, virtue ceased to be associated with dominion and strength and came to be associated with weakness and fear. Second, The doctrine of evolution strengthened humanism of false eschatologies and pietism. A man can now make himself by controlling his own evolution. A new philosophy of work resulted, work as a means of evolving a new man, a new society, and a new world. For scripture, work was God's ordained means of dominion in Eden. After the fall, a curse was laid on man's work insofar as he has fallen, to the degree that the redeemed man is sanctified. To that degree, his work again results in godly dominion. The 20th century has seen the failure of a humanistic man to usher in a new paradise by means of his work, and the result is a flight from work and a lust for retirement, for vacations, escape of the world of work. Humanism thus has false philosophy of work and rest. Its claims ape those of God, to renew man in the world. It is a desperate evil, though fair of face, because its hope is that out of the evil good may come. It believes that sinful man can change himself in the world and vindicate his revolution against God. A central fallacy of premillennial and amillennial views in common assumption that the fall somehow frustrated God's original purpose as set forth in Eden. But God is never frustrated, nor can he be. To believe this is to be a humanist, and humanism, wherever it is, must be strangled, because it assumes that man's way can prevail over God's way. God's purpose was not frustrated by the fall, but manifested therein. All things are aspects of God's predestination and purpose, and nothing can be understood in terms of itself, or the moment, only in terms of God. The salvation of man is not the ultimate purpose of God, although a part of his declared purpose, but the manifestation of his glory and purpose in and through man. The fall thus advanced God's purpose. Weeds, Genesis 3 and verse 18, frustrate men, but they replenish the earth. And prevent man from destroying it the empires of old the communists of today the ungodly men of science and others all believe they frustrate God and mock him but their every effort only advances God's purpose and his glory their wealth and achievements will be garnered by his kingdom in Isaiah chapter 60 verse 3 5 and 11 In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 12, as well as elsewhere, we are assured of this. Of God's kingdom, we are told that, quote, the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, end quote, from Revelation 21, verse 24. Communism is an evil. We must oppose and wage war against its presence in our midst. Humanism is an evil. We must do battle against it on all fronts. We must remember, however, that their coming and going will only further God's purpose and enrich God's kingdom, because nothing happens that will not further God's kingdom and the glory, ultimately, of His people in Him and to His purpose. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, end quote. from First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, the world's doctrine of rest is a flight from work. Vacationing means a restless quest for entertainment and preoccupation to avoid the claims of work. Work gives no dominion in escape from the fact of frustration and castration. Man without dominion is a eunuch, and humanistic man, lacking true dominion, runs from work into a frantic sexuality, trying to prove a false potency because he knows in his heart he is an impotent man, in so far as true dominion is concerned. For the man of God, rest is a privilege, as is work. He rests because he has the assurance that the infallible and omnipotent God has assured him of victory, and that his labor is never in vain in the Lord. The man of God rests in the pride and joy of dominion, in delight in the God who makes all things work together for good to them that love him, to them who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8 and verse 28. Retirement is a modern principle, the secular counterpart of the idea of a rapture. It is a surrender of manhood and of life. As long as man is able, he needs to work. He needs to rest. The rapture and retirement are falsely premised and mean a surrender. They treat a retreat from dominion as a privilege rather than a tragedy of grief. Post-millennialism gives us a theology of work and rest, an eschatology of victory.
1: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.